Greetings, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Communication Guru Podcast, where we believe it's not always what you say, but how you say it that matters. I'm your host, Tim McMurtry, President and CEO of Tim McMurtry International LLC, a business consultancy specializing in government affairs and personal development, along with corporate and community relations. I'm delighted to have you join us today, and I thank you for your listenership and your viewership of this show. Our aim, as you know, on this platform is to discuss the nuances and insights relative to the communication continuum to help you maximize the impact of your effective communication as well as your communication effectiveness within your spheres of influence, be it family, be it workplace, be it business, be it pleasure or wherever you have interaction with others. We're here to help you to become a top-notch communicator. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the Communication Guru Podcast, the Communication Guru Podcast, the Communication Guru Podcast, so that you can be notified when new episodes are released and available for public consumption. Now, if you're anything like me, you have been amazed at the speed and various ways that technology has been playing an increasing role in our lives. From Amazon Alexa and Echo to Siri to artificial intelligence to augmented reality, the Internet of Things and everything in between, we are being engulfed by a whirlwind of technological advancement and innovation. So joining us on today's podcast is a technology expert that I've had the pleasure of meeting a few years ago, uh, pre-COVID, at a Disrupt Milwaukee event put on by the incomparable Kareen Woodman Hollaback. Shout out, Kareen. <laughs> he was a big baller back then, and he's an even bigger baller now. He's also a class act and a person that despite his global travels and paparazzi he regularly receives, he remains a down-to-earth guy. And I really want to get into a couple of things, you know, technology related and AI with them because he lives and breathes this stuff. So please help me welcome to the show TEDx and international speaker, AI data privacy and emerging tech guru, co-founder and CEO of Red Fox AI, the one and only Nick Myers. How's it going, man? Tim, I got to say, out of all the podcast interviews I've done, that has been by far the best intro. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Glad to have you here, and you got to give credit where it's due. You've been jamming, and I've been watching, and uh, I've been impressed, man. So I'm glad you could join us, could join us today. So tell us a bit Absolutely. about... Yes, indeed. Tell us a bit about Red Fox AI and what piqued your interest in technology, even from the outset? Yeah, that's that's a good question, I think, to kick things off. So, you know, for me, I am not a tech person by trade whatsoever. I look back at my history and, you know, growing up, I like to take things apart. I was big into Legos. Legos were my life. Of course, you know, I had Legos with the instruction manual, but I also just like to get creative and build things with Legos. As I got older, I started discovering that I really like looking at computers and figuring out how computers work. And just in some free time, of course, throughout high school, I taught myself some very basic programming, nothing fancy, right? But enough to actually create some basic programs. 
And then, of course, as I got into college and I discovered that really what my true skill set is, is communication, which obviously perfect fit for, of course, I think the theme of your podcast here. Believe it or not, due to my past with a, a disease I'll get into in a bit that kind of influenced where we're at with Red Fox today, I actually wanted to be a doctor. Wow. <laughs> that was my whole goal all through high school. And actually, the first year of college for me, I was working towards being an MD. Mm. However, uh, let's just say that the first few chemistry courses in college did not agree with me, <laughs> or I did not agree with them, and ultimately had... Yep. Ultimately had to go back to the drawing board while I was a freshman in college and figure out what I really wanted to do. So during my time at UW Stevens Point, of course, heading into my sophomore year, I'm like, okay, what is a solid skill that I have? And I learned in high school that I have a skill with public speaking. Where this comes from, I don't know. Nobody in my family enjoys speaking whatsoever. Of course, all my friends are like, why do you even enjoy doing this? Like I piss myself getting up on stage like you do. <laughs> so I recognized that I had a really good skill with public speaking and communicating, project management, and I just have always loved writing and language. So I ultimately decided to pivot my freshman heading into sophomore year at UW Stevens put into the comm program, and that changed everything. So ultimately ended up graduating with a degree in communication. I minored in business, but you know, again, nothing to do with technology, right? Mm -hmm. So ultimately, as I'm as I graduate from UW Stevens Point, I was lucky enough to already have a job lined up at a transportation company based in Waterloo, Wisconsin. And that was a great experience. I hopped right into that about a month after I graduated. They recognized very quickly I had skills with marketing, digital marketing, of course, everything I had done through college, my communication skills, and they essentially tasked me to build them a marketing department from the ground up within the first couple months of me being there. And then ultimately, of course, they got bought out by another company and I was promoted into a directorship role, et cetera. But before even any of that happened, it was probably several months into my time at my full-time job at the transportation company. And again, great experience, learned so much that has got me to where I am today. I'm still very good friends with the owners today, but I will always remember being on a walk. It was just one of those really stressful days that we all get, right? Mm -hmm. I was on a walk, and it just hit me like a sack of potatoes that I will not be able to work for somebody the rest of my life. I just cannot do it at all. So <laughs> after, that, after that epiphany hit me, I reached out to my best friend, my best friend Brett, and he and I had, you know, known each other for several years at this point. And he and I always joked about starting a business. Like if we did want to, if we did want to start a business, what would we do? So I let me let me jump in settled. real quick, Nick. Yeah, go ahead. Right here, as you were having the epiphany on the walk, you know, you and your your guy, you know, talking about you having your own business. Were you still dabbling into the technology on the side at this time? Or you hadn't even Not got to all. that yet. Oh wow! Okay. Not at all. <laughs> continue, continue, <laughs> continue on. Continue think, on. <laughs> no, which I think even makes my story more fascinating, right? So I went to Brett and I said, "Hey, you know, I really like what I'm doing, but I can't work for somebody the rest of my life." And I go, "I know you've always been interested in possibly starting a business." And Brett, of course, was setting up and delivering medical equipment at the time for this company. 
So we put our heads together, analyzed what our skill sets were. And for me, of course, I knew a lot about digital marketing. I had now been doing this for a year full time, all my experience through college. So we settled on starting a digital marketing company and the name out of the hole was Red Fox Creative. And after deciding that, of course, I really dove deep into myself and was like, all right, digital marketing. A lot of people do that, especially in the Madison market, right? I mean, you go to any market and there's what several dozen different digital marketing agencies, right? Or even people who are just doing it on the side. Mm -hmm. So I told Brett, I said, we have to be different. And I go, even though I've never done anything in technology, I go, I just feel a gravitational pull towards tech. You know, again, just from growing up and always being the de facto tech person my family would go to because I liked experimenting with computers. Mm -hmm. And I said, Brett, in order to really differentiate ourselves, we have to include tech into this. So we did some market research, and this is 2016. At the time, there was a very strong push towards virtual reality. Of course, still is today. But a lot of the market research in 2016 said, oh, my gosh, VR this is going to take off in the next two years. Everybody's going to be wearing the headsets. All future video content's going to be in VR, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. So we settled on, we are going to be the VR digital marketing agency. So this is really where my journey into tech started because yeah. having no knowledge in virtual reality, of course, we had to teach ourselves the basics. And my assumption was based on you know Facebook releasing their 360 video module and YouTube releasing 360 video, my assumption was that VR 360 video was gonna be the future of content. Mm-hmm. So we doubled down, we actually bought a 360 video camera, taught ourselves how to film with it, learn the software, learn to edit VR videos, and we just started pitching to different people, you know, here's the value of VR 360 video. We actually got a couple customers out of it, not, nothing gangbusters, but enough to, you know, still keep us on the path of this could work. Yeah. And that's what we were doing for a good year and a half. Of course, we were also picking up customers just for digital marketing. So social media management, paid ads, etc. So ultimately, after doing this for several months, it just was not growing the way that we hoped it would. And the way that this market research <laughs> had said that, that it was going to grow. Got it. So ultimately, Brett decided to take a step back for various reasons, and I was left with the company at the time. So all of our digital marketing customers, and of course, we just phased out the ones we were doing VR 360 video for. So this was a a very big crossroads moment for me because now I had gotten my feet wet in technology. We had met a ton of people. I had also decided because of the knowledge that I was getting that I really wanted to hop into public speaking professionally. So I'm at this crossroads in late 2017, early 2018. And after Brett left, it really just weighed on me whether I should just walk away too and just wrap everything up, focus on my full-time job. But after talking with family, after talking with a lot of my close friends, the consensus was, what are you gonna lose by holding on to the company? And I was like, you know what? You're right. I really do have nothing to lose. Might as well keep going. I got this far. <laughs> keep on. Might as well keep pushing and, and see where things go. So now we're in 2018. And it just so happened that holiday 2017, my mom had gifted me with an Amazon Echo device. So now I had seen these on TV. I thought they were gimmicky. I knew a couple people who had them. I had no idea what to do with it. 
So after I get home from the holidays, I set it up in my kitchen and a very, very cold day in January approached. And this really is the light bulb moment for me with everything, AI, conversational AI, everything I'm doing today. So my Amazon Echo is sitting on my kitchen counter. It's just one of those really nasty cold days in January 2018. I think it was like minus 20 wind chill. Mm. So I'm in my bathroom in my apartment and it hits me. Wow, I'm running on a toilet paper, which is funny now given everything that happened in COVID. Right. But I was actually really on the really running low on toilet paper. The pre-COVID phenomena. <laughs> exactly. So I take one look outside and I say, hell no, I ain't going out to Target or Walmart to get toilet paper and that. I grab my phone. And I, I think to myself, you know, I could order this on Amazon. And then just split second idea across my mind. I wonder if that thing on my kitchen counter can order this toilet paper I need. Wow. So I go, Alexa, I need toilet paper. And Tim, in less than 30 seconds, Alexa had recommended me a 12-pack of Cottonelle discounted at $5.36 because I was using Alexa. And it was shipped to my doorstep in less than 24 hours. Oh, hold on a minute, man. Hold on. Hold on. So you, the thought came, you gave the shout out to Alexa. Hey, I need toilet paper. And not only did you get recommendations at a discount because you were using Alexa, but it placed the order too? Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. This was, what's it, 2018? Winter 2018? January of 2018, yep. Wow. Okay, I didn't mean to cut you off. You can go ahead and continue. No, no. That's that's, that's, crazy. And it was amazing to me, too, that I could do that with my voice, right? Because think about it. Up until, you know, Alexa came onto the scene in 2014, all we had was Siri. And let's be real. Siri kind of has always been the, the voice assistant that's there, but it's hard to use because it just does so much, right? Like, let's be real. Apple could put a lot more work into it. Right. Various reasons, I'm sure, why they didn't then. It's gotten a lot better. But Alexa really was a game changer for voice. So anyhow, so I order that toilet paper, get shipped to my doorstep, and that is when the light bulb goes off. Mm. And because I'm already really trying to strategically think about next steps for Red Fox, it hits me like a sack of potatoes yet again, this, this, there is something here. If it was that easy for me to order toilet paper and conduct that transaction with my voice, what else can I do with this? How else can this technology be applied to business? And of course, specifically with what we were doing at the time, marketing. So like I do, I wanted to understand how Alexa worked first, which after doing some basic research, Artificial intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. So I dove headfirst into trying to teach myself, myself, myself the fundamentals of artificial intelligence. Books, white papers, credible YouTube videos, courses through Microsoft and Amazon. And I had some friends at Microsoft at the time who were sending me some really good information as well. So really, for the next few months, it was just me obsessively teaching myself the foundational principles of AI. Let me, let me because ask Because I knew if I... Oh, go ahead. Tim. Let me ask you something right there, man. I think that a lot of folks, and you're kind of you know, diving into some of the other questions that I have, but I think I'll, it's apropos to kind of dive in right now. 
a lot of us, particularly those that, you know, Generation Xers and above, you know, millennials and younger, they kind of grew up with technology. It's been part of their life is, you know, interwoven into the fabric of the society they were born into. But others of us, you know, are trying to, you know, get into it more, seeing the handwriting on the wall, that it will continue to encroach upon our lives more and more and want to be better experts at it. So with, with you growing up being the Lego king and taking stuff apart and putting it back together again, for those that didn't have those kind of proclivities earlier, could we still, similar to what you did through reading uh, YouTube videos and really kind of diving into technological material and, you know, content, really kind of get ourselves up to speed and comfortable enough to not only use technology, but even have some innovative ways to maybe go off into some, you know, business enterprises with it as well. Would you say that, generally speaking, the average person can do it with that sort of, I guess, work ethic and background diving into this, I guess? Great question. And several weeks ago, I was up at my alma mater giving some guest lectures, and I closed out each lecture by saying, if somebody like me, who just decided one day that they wanted to learn about artificial intelligence and conversational AI without doing any formal training in school, without even having worked in the industry necessarily. If I can do it, you can do it. I think what is really fascinating and really powerful is information is the most democratized it has ever been in our history right now, right? The power of the internet and the ability, as long, of course, as long as you, of course, search for the right information and make sure that it's accurate information, right? Big point right now I want to make with the current state of things. No fake news. As long as it's, right, as long as it's the right information, anybody can learn anything. And that is rapidly changing our education system, right? I could go down that road for hours too. But to answer your question, yes, if I can do it just by using resources on the internet, by checking out books from the library, buying books, Uh, using databases to find white papers, and just talking to people who are in the industry who are willing to give you advice and mentorship and information. Mm -hmm. If I can do it, you can do it. Got it. Encouraging to know, man. Thank you for that. Excellent. Absolutely. So picking back up from the story to how we got to now. So after, of course, having that experience with the toilet paper, it hit me that this technology can be applied to so many different areas of business and marketing. And I just started seeing all the different possibilities. So of course I teach myself the foundational principles of AI and I figure if I can learn it well enough that I can explain it to somebody else, that's all I need, right? I don't need to to start coding and doing all that, right? That's not what I wanna do. I just wanna be able to understand the concept so I know how it works so I can make some more informed and strategic decisions about it, at least for our business. And of course, after diving into AI is when I dove into conversational AI, which is a subset of artificial intelligence, which essentially right is how we talk to Siri and Alexa and, you know, all the different voice interfaces that we've had over the last 10, 20, 30 years, even longer than that. So after diving into conversational AI, I really wanted to focus on how can something like Alexa be used for business? So then... At the same time, I decided now that I was armed with all of this information about AI and conversational AI, 
nobody was really talking about it, at least in a way for people to understand so they too could start connecting the dots. So because of my background in marketing and digital marketing, I decided to jump into that and start connecting the dots from AI and voice slash conversationally on how it can impact marketing. And Tim, I gave my first talk at a social media breakfast, Madison. I believe it was April of 20. No, it was even before that. I think it was January or February of 2018. And then for me, the speaking all came very quickly because I learned I had a, a very deep skill set with it. And I think others saw that as well from doing a local event in February of 2018. I then did Dream Bank in Madison. I then was invited to a national event in Chicago for digital marketers talking about conversational AI and marketing. And before I knew it, I was traveling to Seattle and several other cities around the country talking about AI, digital marketing. It was also through this time that I really discovered I had a deep interest in the future of work. And I started connecting the dots between technology and AI now and how that's going to impact the future of work. And it's funny, one of the talks I was giving quite a bit during that time was my AI at end to work as we know it talk where I kid you not, Tim, I was like the whole working from home remote thing. That's probably going to happen by 2028. Like through the hey, research I was doing, it, man. well, then of course we now know the pandemic accelerated that, but I was convinced just from the research I was doing that this is where we were headed regardless. And we probably had a seven to eight year lead time before it actually happened. COVID just, as we know, accelerated that 100x. So yeah. and then as I'm bouncing around the U.S., um, I got connected with a really good friend now or a couple good friends in Australia, flown out to Australia to give a keynote, um, was invited to do a TEDx, went to Bangkok, Thailand in 2019 to speak on an international panel about artificial intelligence and various things. Wow. My speaking career happened really, really quick. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't be more grateful for that. But at the same time, right, as I'm learning how to apply AI and conversational AI to my business, I was doing the research in real time. So I was able to formulate these really solid talks to help other people understand it and apply it to different industries at the same time. So, of course, doing all that 2019, Brett approaches me, he sees me doing all this throughout 2018, right, and clearly sees there's some writing and opportunity on the wall with what I was doing. He approaches me and says, okay, I realize I stepped back when we were doing digital marketing, but how can I get involved now? I said, well, I go, I can be the business strategy, make shit happen person. I go, but what I really need is somebody who can computer program, who can build these different applications for Alexa and Google Assistant, etc." And Brett said, well, I don't know how to program. And I said, well, you're going to learn how to program. And... I kid you not, Tim, by June, Brett was proficient enough to where we were building Alexa skills fluently. And he has only grown his skill set there. He has now multiple certifications in several different languages. I'll get to, of course, what we're working on now and what he's done there. But needless to say, Brett, somebody who has never computer programmed in his life, is now one of the most proficient people I know just from a few years of learning how to do it. Now, mind you, we're in a very niche area, but he's done it, right? So as Brett's learning how to computer program in 2019, we ultimately decide to change the name of Red Fox from Red Fox Creative to Red Fox AI because the future of our company is now conversational AI first and foremost. 
So 2019 was really the year of my speaking really growing, and we were building Alexa skills and Google Actions for some different companies and organizations. Again, it was stable, but not really the growth that I wanted, but I still knew that there was something here with this, right? I discovered there was this huge community of people all around the world who were interested in working on voice technology. So 2019 was a really pivotal year, I think, in all of this. And then for me, I was in the process of transitioning out of my full-time job into running Red Fox AI full-time because we had hit that point, right, where it's either I stay in my full-time job and do this at night, moonlighting, and we don't grow as fast as we need to, or I make the leap and take the risk and do it. So there were some things happening at my full-time job at the time where it all actually lined up pretty perfect. And in February, end of February, February 28th of 2020, I left my full-time job or transitioned out into Red Fox full-time. Now, with that being said, (laughs) the timing for that couldn't have been perfect (laughs) because three weeks later, the pandemic of the century sets in. Welcome to your full-time entrepreneurship, buddy. (laughs) Right. So that happened. And, you know, I, 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 you know, it it impacted everybody in a variety of different ways. I'm not unique or special that woe is me. I decided to, to, to jump into my company full time and the pandemic happened. Boo-hoo. I never thought that. It was what it was. I was of the mindset of I worked my ass off to get to this point. I'm not going to let this derail me whatsoever. So really 2020, that whole year at home every day, was more of a, a, a strategic, what are we actually going to do now? Who are we actually trying to help yeah. with this technology? Because it was becoming very evident to me that people who were trying to build their companies off of Amazon Alexa or Google Assistant were going to continuously have a difficult time because they were using somebody else's tech. But not only they were using somebody else's tech, those assistants are designed to be so general. And I don't know about you, Tim. I don't know if you have an Alexa or Google Assistant, but did you know that there is a world of 250,000 plus Alexa skills that you can access to do things. Uh Uh-uh, I didn't know that. Exactly, (laughs) yep, that's that's my point. And I I was recognizing this. So as we're going through 2022, or not 20, as we're going through 2020, I'm really trying to strategize. Brett and I, you know, we have the digital marketing side of the business, luckily, that's allowing us to bootstrap and keep going because we maintain that through all of this. And, of course, we experimented with some different things. We actually tried starting an e-commerce company in 2020. <laughs> we, we, we tried, it was called Blue Fox Box, and we were going to do grocery delivery, like preset boxes. And Brett built a custom ordering system for Alexa, so you could order these boxes. Needless to say, the overhead on that was way more than we were willing to, to allocate to it in just the time, so that ended up working out. But also during this time, I really started thinking about my past, right? Mm. And hopefully I'm not going super long-winded in this whole thing here, that you're okay with me going into the whole this story. This is great, man. You're flowing and you're hitting some things that I had questions about, but you are hitting them in your soliloquy, so continue <laughs> on. <laughs> okay, cool. So we approached late 2020. We had actually had some discussions with some very large firms in Wisconsin, biotech and healthcare related, And those discussions really got me thinking about the narrow and specific applications of conversational AI. 
So I thought about my experiences throughout my life to see if it could influence a new direction for us. And I found something. And this truthfully, what I'm about to tell you is what influenced what we're doing today, what we built and our mission and vision moving forward. So when I was a kid, at the age of eight, I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, childhood cancer. So of course, as I'm undergoing chemotherapy treatment for several years, right, a lot of this chemotherapy treatment had to be done both in the hospital and it had to be done at home. Now, at this age, I just, I could not take pills. I could not take oral medication. I just would vomit. I would psych myself out. Needless to say, it was a nightmare for both me and my parents. So because a lot of the chemo had to be done at home, my doctors end up approaching my parents and say, hey, he has to take the chemotherapy at home somehow. And if he can't take pills, the only other option is these large injections that have to be shipped at home, shipped to home. And you have to give him these every, you know, every few weeks. So a couple weeks later, the, well, let me backtrack quick. So while we're at the hospital and they explain this, of course, I'm like, yes, do it. My parents are like, yes, do it. They got maybe 15 to 20 minutes of training on how to give me these, from what I remember as a kid, really big injections that had to be given at a very precise angle into my thigh. Mm. So a couple weeks later, the medication, the shots arrive at our doorstep. And I'll just never forget sitting in our bathroom My dad's covered in PPE from, you know, at least from, (laughs) at least down to his legs. My mom is because, you know, they don't want to get chemo on them, but, you know, try and protect themselves as best as possible. And we're sitting in our bathroom and my dad is just about ready to give me the first injection. I, I, to this day, I can still see it, the syringe, the yellow liquid in his hand. And right as he's about to give me the shot, he freezes and he froze because in that moment, with all of the stress of doing this for the first time, he forgot what angle he needed to give the injection into my thigh. And this look of just terror came across the man's face. And my mom equally just got beyond stressed and flustered. And from that moment, it was now, I kid you not, Tim, a what felt like and what probably was 50 minutes of my parents calling the hospital and getting bounced around to dozens of different departments and people just to get in touch with my doctor so they can get this one question answered. And mind you, this is 2003, 2004, right? So you can't go to the internet unless you unplug your phone from the wall. So the only option was to call and use the really bad phone system and hope to God that they would finally get in touch with my doctors, which they did. But over an obnoxious amount of time. Yeah. So I thought about that experience and I thought about the emotions and the stress and how the sheer agony of that. Right. I mean, this is their son. He's young. We're responsible for administering this. And, Oh, we got this, this one crucial element. I need to get, and this ain't no time for you to be lollygagging, man. I need some answers yesterday on this. This is a urgent matter. Yes, and their whole goal was to just make sure that their son got his chemo treatment. Wow. So I really thought about that, and it occurred to me that this still has to be a problem today. Because let's just be real. (laughs) Anything in healthcare seems to still be a problem today, right? Facts. So I really did some basic market research, 
And of course, you look at even before COVID-19, the at-home medical testing and home medical device market was already predicted to have a high growth over the next several years. Well, COVID accelerated that even more. So you start. I start looking at this market research and this data, and it's clear that with all of the current and predicted at-home medical tests and medical devices and home healthcare in general, people are still, to this day, in 2022, having problems getting the right information to get an answer for these tests that they obviously bought because they care about their healthcare, they care about loved ones to make sure that they're doing it right, and they get the information as efficiently and as simply as possible. This is still a problem. So I went to Brett and I said, hey, I go, here's my experience. Here's what the market research says. I said, we have to fix this. And I go, I think this is our opportunity to really look at Conversationally I from an entirely different point of view to solve this problem. And Brett said, okay, well, how do you want to do that? And I said, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. (laughs) So we first tried experimenting using Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant, and we very quickly realized that what we wanted to do, we couldn't do using their platforms. So in late 2020, we started scoping out what would our own platform look like? What if we built our own conversational AI to solve this problem for millions of people using any home healthcare product, taking an at-home medical test, using an at-home medical device, etc. And Brett went to work in about March, April of 2021 to build our platform. And by August, we had a production-ready version of this, and we're in market. So you guys just built your own t- uh, version of Alexa, your own platform for conversational AI. Essentially, yes. <laughs> no, I mean, that, 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 that's powerful, man. I mean, going back to your earlier statements of encouraging, you know, those that have an eye for technology but want to build up their skills, you know, you said, hey, just research some stuff, do your homework, and you can grow in your proficiency and ability to utilize it. And this is another example of that. I mean, that's just so encouraging to hear because at the speed that technology is moving, it's like, well, hey, man, by the time I learn, you know, one piece, the goal has been moved, like they're moving a goalpost. So now I got to learn this other thing. But it sounds like what you're saying is that, hey, there are some basic concepts that will be the baseline and you can cumulatively add on to that basic concept with the newer innovations that are coming so you can keep up with the evolution. That's music to my Absolutely. ears, man. So that's that's great to know. So as you guys built out this platform, when you began taking it to the, the, the market and potential clients, having the track record that you all had already established, what was some of the feedback that you got and how difficult was it to go to market saying, hey, we have the, you know, new hotness here, you guys ought to roll with us? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And before we even really started talking to large organizations that we want to partner with, I really just wanted a pulse on the industry to find out if people were even receptive to the idea. Because, of course, one of the hardest things when starting any business, let alone a tech startup, 
is product market fit right? Mm -hmm. Is your assumption of the problem in the marketplace actually there, number one? And is the solution that you built to fix that problem, do people want that? Right. So I actually went on just a LinkedIn messaging campaign and I just started messaging anybody I could get in touch with in the biotech, biohealth, pharmaceutical, healthcare space. And the people who responded, I just said, hey, here's what we're working on. Would you be willing to have a conversation? And I would say, you know, a dozen or so conversations later, the consensus from all these people who have been in the biotech space, the health and wellness space, life sciences space for many more years, of course, than I have at this point, all seem to think it was a great idea and there was a need for this. So that showed us some validation. And then through that, we did start talking with some very large firms and ultimately we're... (laughs) We realize we do have something here, which I'll get to current state, April 16th, 2022 in a bit. But after we launched this in August, you know, our whole vision is we want to use conversational AI to solve this problem of at-home medical testing, right? To make sure that a patient, when they are in their most vulnerable moment, when all they want is to make sure they did the test right to get the right result. We want to fix that problem and make it as easy and simple and efficient and even more so human-centric and supportive for them as possible using this incredible technology that from what we've been able to see up to this point is still in the very early stages of being able to do this, right? Because the focus for so long has been on these larger platforms that you get stonewalled with. Right. So really at the end of the day, What we tell people is Red Fox, which we call our platform the Red Fox Digital Guide. Red Fox is a conversational artificial intelligence accessible from your smartphone where we collaborate with the product team of our partners to learn their process and then train our AI to understand their testing process or medical device process so well, including all troubleshooting, that it can walk patients through their at-home test kit in the most accurate, an efficient way possible, all while offering a new level of on-demand customer support. And because of this, providers save money on customer support and they collect key data points to improve efficiency that can be used to ultimately create a better patient experience. That's what we do. And that's what we built. And that's who we're serving and the why behind it. And at this point, Tim, I am not going to stop until I solve this problem and make sure that any test, any medical device that is shipped out is using our platform to make sure that patients are completing this the right way. And at the end of the day, the patient is getting the results that they want because it's important. It's healthcare related. They're using this information to make informed decisions about their own healthcare. We need to make sure that is done the right way every single time. Well, hey, man, bravo to you, Brett, and and the Red Fox team for having, you know, the passion and empathy for even going down this path. And given that, you know, one's health is arguably the most important asset that they have, if that's compromised in any way, you all are bringing a remedy to help that get corrected. So I don't know if there's any more altruistic work one could do in 
society. So hats off there. Now, with the platform itself, the individual that has it, that has to have this, you know, medical process or procedure, whatever it is, uh, administered, they can talk to the device. Hey, device, I got to do X, Y, Z. Um, How do I angle the needle or how do I do this? And the device can talk them through that? We train it. Wow. Yep. We train the conversationally eye, our engine, on their entire testing process. So that way, no matter where the patient is in the process of taking that medical test or using that medical device, it can facilitate that. But not only that, say the patient gets to a point where they're stuck, we can troubleshoot that in real time as well. And of course, all of this data, right, we can give to the provider so they can make sure that is not a problem moving forward to patients. You know, my big vision Mm-hmm. is there is nothing stopping us from once we get down the road and we're able to train our AI on dozens, I mean, if not hundreds of different processes, there is nothing stopping us if we get the right talent and resources in place that we could train our AI to develop an entirely new process for providers that they couldn't have even thought of in their wildest dreams that is so specific and tailored to patients that it covers all the bases in the best way possible. That's my vision. My goodness. <laughs> now, I was talking to someone, um, an older gentleman, and he had had a, a heart procedure, and he had talked about, we were talking about technology and its advances, et cetera, and he had talked about how when he was in the hospital, they took an incision to his wrist and put a mm-hmm. you know camera in there, and the surgery was you know done pretty much all electronically and with robotics and all of this kind of stuff. And he was in and out of the hospital, I mean, within 24, 48 hours after having a heart procedure. And so obviously there are mass benefits to technology and its encroachment into our lives. The flip side to the same coin, some have raised just kind of concerns that Hey, mm-hmm. as technology and artificial intelligence <laughs> becomes intelligenter and more and more intelligent, that there is a chance that human labor, for all intents and purposes, will be obsolete within, you know, 10 to 20 years. Do you see with the possibilities of what's going on, plus, you know, Web 3.0 and the metaverse and all Don't even get me started. I mean, <laughs> are we really at the stage right now today? Well, two questions. Are we really at the stage where we can see on a visible horizon the elimination of human labor? And then number two, with on a scale of one to 100, with 100 being we are at our zenith of technological capacity and capability, where are we on that scale? That is a that is a good question, and you, I like this because now you're getting into some of the future of work stuff that that I really really love. Mm-hmm. So let me kind of break this down into chunks. So where we are currently at with artificial intelligence today, don't get me wrong, we have come leaps and bounds from where we were in the '50s and the '60s and the '70s. And because keep in mind, AI itself has been around since the late 1940s, 1950s, Alan Turing, some very early AI researchers in the 1950s got together and coined a couple terms that we still use today. 
So AI itself, people have been thinking about how we can create sentient computers for decades now. The mm. problem that they kept running to, right, is technological capability at the time. You can only push it as far as what tools are available to you in the given point in time, right? Mm -hmm. Now, today, of course, we live in a world that is abundant with <laughs> just incredibly advanced technology, right? right? What really started the AI boom of the 21st century was the advent of cloud computing, right? So your Amazon Web Services, your Microsoft Azure's, um, Google Cloud Network, because now anybody could do advanced computing at scale for an incredibly low cost. And when you're able to do that, this allows more and more people to innovate, which in the case of artificial intelligence led to a rise in a specific technology called deep learning, which is probably as far as we push the AI envelope currently in terms of how we can train a computer system to think and carry out actions much like a human being. So deep learning over the last 10 years because of cloud computing. So you see how these technologies tend to connect as we make advancements has really been transformational for artificial intelligence. Now, with that said, we are nowhere near close to any type of sentient artificial intelligence. There are AI optimists. There are AI haters. I have encountered both. I tend to place myself in the middle where there is an incredible amount of opportunity with it if we do it the right way, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think there are still many limitations that we have yet to overcome. Specifically, when you look at neuroscience, right? People have been studying the human brain for thousands of years, and we still cannot figure out how our brains generate personality. Mm -hmm. We still cannot figure out what makes you you and what makes me me. So if we still can't figure that out scientifically, how are we supposed to make computers intelligent, right? And we still don't even understand intelligence. So there are a lot of hurdles, but we're making strides, right? And AI today is very good at doing one thing, especially if you train it on a lot of data. It can do one thing very, very well. And there are, I mean, thousands upon thousands of applications where we see that today, right? Especially in healthcare, which is part of the reason why we want to focus on that too. But we are not at a point yet where we have a sentient AI. With that being said, the media, and specifically Hollywood, does a very good job of painting AI as this incredibly awful, terrible thing that's going to take everybody's jobs and nobody knows what's going to happen. Facts. Well, what's, in what's interesting about that is I think we all experienced during COVID what a true labor shortage feels like, right? Because when COVID hit, the labor market was already changing. You had Generation Z, millennials well into their working careers, Gen X, of course, getting up near retirement age and baby boomers pretty much at retirement age, right? Mm -hmm. So we were going to have a large chunk of the workforce naturally retire and a new chunk of the workforce enter. But of course, with the new chunk of the workforce entering, their concept of work and what they want to do is completely different than Gen X or baby boomers, which there's a push and pull scenario there that we were going to have to deal with anyhow. But when COVID hit, that completely reshuffled the game, right? Mm -hmm. And I was even talking through COVID with the research I was doing and even before COVID that there were jobs that we were going to lose regardless, just because of those changing labor market conditions that AI would ultimately have to step in to do anyhow. So when we look at the labor market and AI's impact, I think for the foreseeable future, we're going to have what is known as a complementary effect, where if you have a, if you have 
a job or an activity that a computer can clearly automate, we're going to do that. But at the same time, that's going to reduce costs for the organization, but they can then take the talent of the human being doing that and reprioritize it to a more cost-effective and valuable revenue-generating activity, right? Mm -hmm. You can reallocate that human capital from a time-sucking, cost-prohibitive activity to a clear revenue-generating activity. This is called the complementary effect, and it's actually, as long as that stays in place moving forward, we're going to hopefully see a net increase in wealth and opportunity for people. Again, all things equal, which they never are, but that's the Goldilocks scenario, right? I see. And one of the big issues with artificial intelligence right now, too, is the data we're training it on. A lot of the data that we are using to train AI systems is biased data. And I'm very candid saying this, and I'm very passionate about this with my data privacy work and AI in general is, with white people having run the world for so long, right, a lot of that data is biased, and it Mm -hmm. doesn't need to be, it shouldn't be, because we're using this data to train AI systems that don't serve everybody, right? That is my whole bit in this. I want it to be as equitable and accessible as possible, and it needs to be. And that is one of the biggest issues we have in AI today. And nobody is talking about that as much as we should be. And the alarm bells for me keep going off because there have been facial recognition systems. I think this is the reason why it got banned in San Francisco is Amazon's facial recognition was really good. But because of the data that it was trained on when police were using it, it was profiling African-American women, I think at a rate 10x higher than anybody else. Wow, I had heard something about that, man. I didn't Don't don't quote me on that actual yeah. statistic, but it it was bad, and that's why San Francisco banned it. Well, let me let me ask you this, Nick, in that, in that same vein, ever since the George Floyd, you know, murder and the, you know, racial wet reckoning that, you know, followed suit across the globe, there was a lot of talk and even, you know, some departmental creation and workplace Um, adjustments to diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, belonging and all of that. And it seemed to be the flavor of the month for a a little while. I'm starting to hear a couple things, you know, now that there has been, you know, particularly from white males, like a backlash against it. And it's like, well, hey, now we're feeling like we're being attacked. You know, we're the bad guy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, How can some sort of equity push and movement be instigated and implemented into the whole data piece that you're talking about at a time when even just candid, open conversations about race, be it CRT or or, or whatever, there's such a reticence to even just talk, to even talk about it. How can we ensure equity when the hard conversations, some folks aren't even willing to have them. Right. No, that's a great question. And I'll take the tech perspective from this first. So at the end of the day, the more people that you get in a room who come from different backgrounds, who come from different races, who come from different experiences, that is when the most magic tends to happen because you get everybody's input, any decision that you make in that room is more than likely going to serve a wider populace of people than a minority set of people, right? When we look at technology companies today, specifically the larger ones, they have had a very bad problem of hiring predominantly men, but 
white males. I mean, mostly men. And when you have technologies like artificial intelligence actively being developed and a, a, a group of men, specifically white men, are in charge of feeding it the data, obviously that data is going to skew one way because you're not getting a bunch of different opinions. You're not getting a bunch of different experiences. You're not getting a bunch of different variations in that data. It's going to be reflective and, of the programmers themselves. Correct. But at the same time, they're pulling that data from sources that have that data. I'm trying to figure out how I want to say this. They're getting the data from the sources that for so long have had biased data, right? Because we live in a system where racism is systemic, right? And until the greater of society works to change that, I find it's going to be very challenging, even if the major tech companies start hiring a more diverse set of people, for them to get quality data because the sources they pull from is biased because of the problem that exists within the system. And you and I, I'm very passionate about that too. We could talk about that for hours. But at the end of the day, those are the things that need to change to really make this work for everybody. Because if it doesn't, AI is just going to be another technology that serves only a small group of people while leaving everybody behind. And with how transformational this is going to be and already is, that cannot happen. It cannot happen. And I'm of the mindset with our company, I want to hire the most diverse group of folks that I can with varying degrees of talents and backgrounds because, you know, even though I haven't had a ton of experience working for organizations that seem very siloed, I've seen it often enough. And the change has to start somewhere. So especially with what we're doing, where we're trying to change a system of healthcare that is so broken, right? And we want to make it accessible for everybody in terms of at-home medical testing, home, you know, at-home medical devices, even what we go into in the future, we need a diverse set of people to do that, to make our technology work for everybody. So I know I kind of went in a couple different directions there, but hopefully that maybe answered your question. <laughs> no, it, it, it did, man. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just looking at the, at the clock here. We're pushing up against an hour. I mean, I have so many more oh my questions. Gosh. To ask, but I want to be respectful of your time and the listeners. I might have to have you back, man, because there are so many other things that, you know, we, we didn't get a chance to touch upon. I just, I'll just i just answer just two more questions for you, then I'll let you go. Uh, the first one is you talked about your journey as an entrepreneur and, you know, having to come to a couple of different crossroads. Hey, I don't necessarily want to do the nine to five or work for somebody else, you know, the rest of my life. At some point in time in my future, I'm going to venture off on my own. Uh, you got there. And when you did the thing on your own, there was another global pandemic that broke out that nobody foresaw coming. So do I go back and retreat to where I came from, what's most familiar and comfortable, or do I trek on another decision making? And then when you were looking to market the business, you know, you get on the LinkedIn, you know, the chat rooms and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, cold call some people in the various fields of biotechnology and, you know, health that you thought would be most akin to what it is you were doing. You put forth that effort. It's the first, the question is, is that, so the entrepreneur, those that have the romanticized views of, hey, I'm going to hang my shingle up, I'm going to be my X, Y, Z, what I'm going to do. There's some personal effort that this individual needs to know they're going to have to put into this 
because everything might not fall in their lap for what they're trying to do. Would that be an accurate kind of statement or assessment of the entrepreneurial role and pathway? That is a 100% accurate assessment. And I joke around with Brett all the time. And, and I say, Brett, sometimes I feel like I must have some type of mental illness because nobody <laughs> would willingly put themselves through <laughs> through the stress <laughs> of this every single day of their lives, right? But no, in all seriousness, it is the most rewarding thing I have ever done in my life. And we're only just getting started. But, you know, I think entrepreneur has become a very ambiguous word, right? Like when people hear entrepreneur, they think of something like Elon Musk, perhaps, or they think of honestly, some, this is where, this is where it's kind of morphed a bit is, entrepreneur could be driving for uber because you're technically running your own business i guess right right um but at the end of the day an entrepreneur is somebody who just wants to disrupt something not only do they want to disrupt something there's an altruistic reason for why they want to disrupt something like don't get me wrong like yes there's people who start businesses just to make money and see the dollar signs and etc but i think the best entrepreneurs the ones that i've come across are the ones that are doing it with intention, the ones that are doing it because they see that there is a problem facing millions of people potentially, and they're crazy enough to think that they can solve it and bring something to market that can solve it. For me, I know what this problem is. I've lived it. I felt the emotions. I want it. And if I want it, there's probably other people out there who want it as well. Got it. Got you know it. what I mean? Uh-huh. So I think anybody who is considering jumping into entrepreneurship, lead with purpose and lead with intention and make sure what you are doing ultimately is more than just money. Because money's great, but what I've also learned, especially from people who've been doing this way longer than I have, is money comes just when you solve that problem. You know, you can always make more money, but you don't always have the opportunity to really solve a problem facing millions of people. So if you want to make that leap and really want to embrace what I view as being an entrepreneur, lead with purpose, lead with intention, and really just focus on that problem. Mm, mm, mm. Man, those are some excellent uh, <laughs> closing words. For for the listeners, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. And like I said, man, I'm going to have to have you back because I have a, a, a ton more of, of questions. And I can and that's and I appreciate your thorough answers as well. I like to when I'm asking somebody a question, I don't like to have to say, now, what did you just say? <laughs> I like yep. the answers. Okay, thank you for answering that thoroughly. Hey, man, for those that want to get in contact with you, that want to, you know, do some, maybe some business with you and things like that, how? What's the best way to to, to get in contact with you to reach out to you? Uh, your contact information, if you can just share that, that would be terrific. Yeah, uh, honestly, several months ago, I mean, even still now, I mean, social media is a great way. Um, I don't. I'm not as active on LinkedIn as I once was, but, you know, I check it often enough. So connect with me there. 
uh, shoot me a DM. Same with Twitter. Um, I'm on it every day in terms of consuming content, not posting as much as I once was, but that's a great way. If you really want to get in touch with me, I'm addicted to my email. So Nick, N-I-C-K dot Myers, M-Y-E-R-S at redfox-ai.com. I will see that and you will definitely get a response if you email me. That That is awesome. That is awesome. Again, man, thanks so much for your time and, and information. You, Man, this was, ooh, this was, this. <laughs> no, I'm glad, Tim. This was this a lot was, of fun. As you can, like I said, I'm a windbag. I can, I can go for hours. Hey, man, I, <laughs> we're, we're, we're kindred spirits, man. And, and, and that's really why, why I'm, I'm so excited. I mean, as you were asked, I'm just watching the climb. I'm like, oh, man, we're running out of time. But this is this is this is good stuff, and because technology is so front and center in our lives now, even those that were kind of loath to embrace it have been forced to, and so yes. we need to. It, it's here. Ain't no turning back. That that train has left the station. That cat is out of the bag. Whatever calf has left left the gate. Whatever cliche you want to use, we're smack dab in the middle of that right now. So I think it's very very vital that we all begin to embrace it and kind of get in where we fit in on this technological continuum. But um, thanks again, man, for coming. I really, really appreciate, you know, you coming out and sharing and uh, have to have you back as well. And for the listeners, thank you so much for listening on today and, and, and your viewership. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to the Communication Guru podcast. And also be on the lookout for Morning Tempspiration, the vlog, which are inspirational words of encouragement and insight. You can find them on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram because everybody, you know, needs an attaboy or an girl at some point in time. And you can come across these words of encouragement that could be the wind behind your sails that you needed at the right place at the right time. And finally, if you have a communication issue that you need assistance with, be it personal, business, relationship-wise, or otherwise, and you would like to conduct a 15 to 30-minute uh, free consultation or discovery call, feel free to DM me at Facebook or LinkedIn, or you can reach me uh, via DM on Instagram as well, at Mr. Tempspiration. Mr. Tempspiration, and uh, be sure to add a description, you know, a little blurb about what the issue is, and we can hop on a call to discuss that to see if we can bring some remedy to that challenge. So, that being said, thanks again for your listenership and your viewership. We are done for today. We will see you again, and until next time, bam!